Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Good afternoon. My name is Brian Topher, Principal Architect of Topher Architecture, and you are listening to New Books Architecture, a podcast channel on the New Books Network dedicated to architecture and its publications. If you have any suggestions on authors who you would love to hear me speak with next, feel free to send me an email at btopher at topherarchitecture.com. Today's guest is Newton D'Souza to talk about his book, The Multi-Skilled Designer, A Cognitive Foundation for Inclusive Architectural Thinking. Newton is, the, is an associate professor and the department chair at Florida International University in Miami. And thank you very much for being here and talking with me today. And welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. Glad to be here. And I appreciate this opportunity. Uh, not as much as me. So before we begin, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Okay. I was trained as an architect and I, as you said, currently serve as an associate professor and chair of interior architecture department at Florida International University, Miami. I also taught at the University of Missouri for about 10 years, where I was briefly a graduate program director. Um, I completed my undergraduate architecture um, at Bangalore University in India and uh, went on to continue my master's at the National University of Singapore. And then I later on came to the United States to complete my doctorate at the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. Great, very impressive. And so I'd like to just dive right into the book. It's a very interesting. I, I do teach studio myself. And so no matter what year a student I'm dealing with, there is the question, what is design? And I believe that's actually how you open the book with that you're trying to explore the idea of ultimately what is design. Uh, kind of a concept I think almost every person knows about, but if you were to ask them to define it or explain it, I think they might have more challenge than they realize. Absolutely. And uh, for me, uh, I had the same question. So just kind of getting back to the journey of uh, writing this book, um, what is design and what do designers really do was a question that was asked uh, by one of my mentors. Uh, And that is after completing five years of my bachelor's of architecture and five years in the field, I went back to that question um, because uh, there are uh, so many complex processes that happen in design and uh, design is considered as a, as a wicked problem. Um, It's not well-defined and uh, usually designers have to go through a whole process to define it. So my interest in conceptual design um, occurred when I was an undergraduate student uh, where I, I used to be very consumed with uh, the conceptual process of design. And uh, so much so that I used to change my designs even overnight just before the juries the next day. And often uh, the juries would comment about my design as being too sketchy or underdeveloped. Um, and so I was uh, trying to figure out, is there a better way of uh, me trying to design? Can I optimize my design thinking? 
Um, what are the attributes of a, a good designer who can control their processes? And how do designers achieve their highest creative potential? So that led me to this whole area of design research called design cognition. And uh, just to kind of talk a little bit about design cognition, in simple terms, it's about how designers think, create, and solve uh, design problems. And uh, design cognition comes from uh, cognitive psychology, uh, the mental processes that occur in our minds. And uh, there's a whole group called Design Thinking Research Symposium who actually do a lot of work in this area. And they consist of people from architecture, from cognitive science, from computation, um, from other design disciplines. So it's an exciting area of uh, research. And that's where I started my first initial steps into writing this book. Very fascinating. And so we'll, we'll, we'll kind of go right into it. You outline this, that it's kind of based on, you know, initially Howard Gardner's eight intelligences. And so I'll quickly break that down for us. The verbal, logical, mathematical, spatial, and I always mess this up, kinesthetic, musical, interpersonal, intrapersonal, and the naturalistic. And you, you kind of make the point that most, almost every profession has to use some combination of these, but architects are somewhat uniquely suited that they have to use almost all of them, and at the very least, much more than any other profession. Yes, and uh, that's a unique nature of our profession. Um, we, uh, we use a, a number of these different intelligences, although it's not explicitly taught in architecture school or we don't name it as such. So in my research, I right. found that designers um, actually use uh, many of these skills in different capacities. And that's where I felt uh, the whole framework of Howard Gardner's multiple intelligences was suited to architecture. Howard Gardner uh, comes from the view that uh, measuring mental processes and representations shouldn't be um, just done by one form of intelligence, uh, which is prevalently uh, the intelligence caution test we use. So he, his whole framework was to kind of diversify the thinking about intelligence. And uh, that is something I felt uh, was very useful to architecture because we do conceptualize uh, very differently from spatial to logical. Sometimes we enter design just by storytelling. I have uh, wonderful students who can write an essay before going to design. Um, right. And some are more, um, uh, have more affinity to interpersonal uh, issues in design. So I thought that was uh, an interesting way of looking at design and very valuable. Uh, and that's where I use that framework, uh, and especially from cognitive psychology. Absolutely. And so before we kind of dive into each individual, I just wanted to make special note that, you know, often when talking, whether it's with students or clients, you kind of describe that architects, the phrase I've always used is master, you know, jack of all trains, master of none. Whereas I would I actually prefer your comparison that an architect is like a decathlete, maybe not any kind of specific specialization, but performs consistently in a diverse set of skills and functions. Yes, absolutely. And that uh, analogy to a decathlete where 
you have to perform in different areas at a optimum level. You don't have to excel in those, but you need to have some sort of a competency. Um, one of the architects uh, um, that I uh, met some years ago um, was talking about design is the last of the generalist professions. And that was an interesting uh, view on design. And um, and also David Allison from Clemson University, who runs the healthcare program, talks about designer being a generalist specialist, right? We need to have a right. general set of skill sets, but we could also excel in some of those areas. So for me, that was an interesting take in how design uh, operates because um, it's uh, one of those skills where you need to know a lot of it, um, but at the same time, be able to perform uh, or use some of those in a very deep and intense way. Right. Great. And so, so now we'll go. If you, we'll go into each individual section. So we'll start off with, you know, the idea of intra intrapersonal skills versus interpersonal. If you could elaborate not only on the difference between the two, but how your research showed that they play into our design intelligence. Sure. Um, generally, when we think about architecture design, we uh, tend to think of architecture mainly focused on spatial skills and logical skills. Absolutely. Right? Those are the two skills that we are trained in and we always use it explicitly. Um, the great thing about multiple intelligences, it lets us uh, the use of other skills like intrapersonal, interpersonal. I also add another skill called suprapersonal skills. And the main difference yes. among these three is they are all coming from this idea of uh, using personal skills to influence design. So intrapersonal means you're trying to use your own uh, personal history, your own uh, sense of the world, uh, how you compare uh, metaphors to design personal knowledge about uh, experiences that you had, uh, emotions and meaning. So intrapersonal is coming from that perspective that a designer can use uh, some of the personal kinds of um, issues to inform design. And the example I give is uh, two famous uh, designers, Daniel Libeskind and Peter Zumthor. Uh, yes. For me, someone like Daniel Libeskind is fascinating example of intrapersonal skill because um, just looking at his uh, Jewish museum design uh, and the conceptualization he goes through using culture and values he brings into the process. In fact, when I visited the Getty Research Institute uh, to do some archival research on his uh, process, uh, I found 19... I think there were almost 19 books uh, just documenting his conceptual process and um, the analogy he makes to uh, the Jewish uh, uh, culture in terms of Torah or the book burning or the baggage strewn on the streets. So he brings this into his final design and you can see that analogy. Um, same same thing with Peter Zumter, sensitivity to materials, for example, uh, and then how he brings his own um, past to inform the design process. So intrapersonal is coming from your own personal perspective, 
mm-hmm. which is opposite to something like interpersonal, where you need to now understand um, other people other than yourself and design for them. And the great examples for interpersonal skills are someone like Alejandro Arbena, who uses uh, social persuasion. Um, he brings in community design into his thinking. A uh, great example is the uh, Quinta Minroy project that, uh, where he used the half-house concept to um, use some participatory techniques among communities to design. Uh, One interesting anecdote or an example it gives there is the community, uh, when asked about what do they prefer between a bathtub and a water heater, um, usually the community would have ordinarily said a water heater because, you know, it's more elaborate and it's uh, looking into the future. Um, But they actually preferred the bathtub because they could do many different things. They could wash the children. They could do other things with the bathtub that the water heater couldn't mm-hmm. do. And uh, he, he mentions about how that decision came mainly through that participatory design technique. So understanding others and values of others is uh, interpersonal intelligence. The third example I give uh, between the within the personal intelligence is what I call as a suprapersonal intelligence, and yes. suprapersonal intelligence is going beyond personal, going beyond interpersonal, to think about you know the immaterial and philosophical and the spiritual world. Uh, two people that uh, are a great exponent of this is Luke Hahn, who talks about design being a spiritual transcendence for him. And also I have added Zaha Hadid in that uh, category because of uh, uh, the conceptualization she does with her projects is fascinating coming from this whole idea of suprematism and uh, having the space free itself and not be confined. So, So those are the three personal intelligences that I talk about in the book. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Great, uh, great uh, analysis of the three. And so moving on, you've already hinted at this, but the two that we, that any architecture student or any professional hears a thousand times a day regarding the logical, mathematical, and the spatial, you know, nobody has to be convinced that architects understand the spatial intelligence. And I do know many people, whenever I tell them an architect, instantly say, oh, you must be great at math. And the reality is, I'll be honest, I'm not the greatest. I wasn't the greatest at math, but it's more of a a logical strength, I would feel. And I think many others would agree with that. Yes. And it's interesting how designers use logic and math. Um, Some of them kind of literally use numbers and geometry. But Mm -hmm. you can also think of logic as formal variations 
you can think of logic as being able to respond to functional and programmatic issues. Uh, I have some students who uh, right away when I give them a design project, you know, start with calculations and numbers. And uh, I, I come to realize there you are. Here's a student who likes those numbers and the number crunching. Um, I give examples of Le Corbusier and Greg Lynn for this category because um, both of them use mathematics in different ways. Le Corbusier, for example, was a great exponent of the grid system and the Cartesian order um, and, and the whole idea of modulo that he tries to use um, in his projects um, and, and very rigorously uh, using it in, in various um, uh, conditions, right from uh, the scaffolding uh, as well as the, the windows or you know even at the building scale, the site scale. Um, and so uh, I think that, that was an interesting uh, example of a logical mathematical intelligence. I also give the example of Greg Lynn, the recent uh, exponents of parametric design as an example of logical mathematical uh, intelligence because the way they bring in computational methods, algorithms to design. Um, and I think that's uh, another way of looking at uh, mathematical and logical intelligences. The spatial intelligence, of course, we are uh, very aware of in design schools, in practice. Um, one of the main criteria for architects and designers and interior designers is to visualize space. Absolutely. And uh, some designers could do it much better than others. Uh, I, I give examples of Frank Lloyd Wright and Tadeo Ando as examples of this uh, and very different exponents of spatial intelligence. In fact, uh, uh, you, you don't find a lot of sketching or conceptual drawings done by Frank Lloyd Wright because he had the gift to uh, manipulate space in his own mind. And um, right. after a long, of man long time of manipulation, he would then put it as a finished or completed drawing, which was fascinating that only few designers can do that. And then you have others like Tadeo Ando who do a lot of, uh, they start with sketches and they start with doodles and trying to understand space. And uh, Ando, of course, comes from his uh, uh, cultural background of using space in a different way, the whole idea of time and space and how space is related to time, um, the whole idea of jikan, he calls it, uh, the spatialization of time. And also not just space, but also thinking of the void as an important element of architecture design. Um, it's, he calls it the ma. And the void also has a value. Uh, it's not a negative kind of value, but it's uh, intense and very uh, wholesome. So um, so that's uh, uh, the spatial intelligences, of course, uh, is something that we are very aware of. And um, obviously, some uh, designers are much better at manipulating space than others. But it's an important aspect of design thinking. Absolutely. And so I'd like to make special note of two of the intelligences, particularly because when I first read them, I kind of thought to myself, I'm not so sure if I'm using that a lot. And then while reading into your research, I had the epiphany of, oh, wait, myself and every other architect does this every day. 
And it's the, the, the idea of the kinesthetic intelligence and the naturalistic. Like I said, at first, when reading that, I might say that I don't do that. But as you pointed out, the human scale is something we have to deal with almost every decision we make. And then same with naturalistic. We don't build our buildings in a vacuum, you know, whether it's sustainable or not, we have to deal with the surrounding environment. So I was wondering if you could elaborate on those two. Absolutely. And as you said, yes, we don't think of kinesthetic intelligence as something explicitly being used in design. But as Yuhani Palasma talks about, architecture is an embodied act. And uh, when we think of uh, design, we think of body movement, we think of spatial orientation. Um, We think of how we view space from the inside. The two examples I give for spatial or bodily kinesthetic intelligence is uh, Stephen Hall, the whole idea of parallax that you're able to experience overlapping perspectives. And Stephen Hall's design process is also very interesting. He uh, usually starts from the interiors and then goes outside. And uh, he does a lot of beautiful watercolor uh, paintings to kind of depict the gross, right. those movements. Um, same case with um, Hermann Hertzberger, uh, another well-known designer coming from the structuralist tradition. And I, what, one of the reasons I put Hermann Hertzberger in the body kinesthetic category is his whole idea of uh, social activation how he thinks about people and how he thinks about people moving in space, be it school or an institution. So uh, bodily kinesthetic intelligence is something that designers uh, use a lot, um, but probably not explicitly. uh, It's hard to kind of uh, depict it in a certain way. Um, Absolutely. And same thing, as you mentioned about naturalistic intelligence, uh, the whole idea of that we are connected uh, not just as objects, but to the natural world. Um, The two examples I give you, uh, one is uh, uh, Chris Cornelius, uh, and uh, the other one is Geoffrey Bava. Uh, Chris Cornelius is a very interesting architect. Uh, His uh, whole idea of storytelling and the use of nature and bringing cultural traditions from his native Indian background to tell stories and mythologies about how design and nature works together. In fact, he feels uh, sustainable design is more like a, a name that we give, but really it has to be a part of every design process. Um, and then the other example I give is Geoffrey Bava, who is a, a, f- a famous tropical architect uh, who, who designed beautiful houses embedded within nature in Sri Lanka. And uh, mm-hmm. some of his drawings are also fascinating because he just doesn't draw the building, but he draws the flora and fauna, he draws animals, he draws, uh, you know, uh, uh, vessels like catamarans, um, he draws uh, uh, different types of trees. So uh, you can see in his conceptual drawings how much nature is part of the whole process. Absolutely. And so assuming I didn't miscount, so that brings us to the eighth and final kind of point in the way you organize this and the verbal linguistic. And this one, I have my own special attachment to. Okay. 
I think many of my students think I harp on the necessity to be able to talk, persuade people, explain. And so I think you kind of go into a great depth that it's not just about conveying your design. There is sort of, and you already talked about social persuasion. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you could elaborate on that a little more. Yes. And uh, it's interesting because designers, as designers, we spend a lot of time verbalizing a project to our clients. But we also can see a verbal process that uh, we can uh, use in the conceptualization of design. And Maya Lin is a great example of that. Uh, The whole project that she did, the Veterans Memorial, when when the project came about, I think there were a number of entries, almost 10,000 entries in this particular project. And um, when the reviewers were going in the golf cart, you know, all these entries were put in this huge stadium and they were trying to um, spend a couple of minutes on each project uh, in a golf cart. And uh, initially, when they looked at the design, they just passed it over, but apparently they had to come back and just uh, read the concept statement. And when reading the concept statement, they were kind of uh, surprised and stunned about how beautifully descriptive it was. And that was one of the reasons, the attribute that she got the commission for it. Um, So there is a power in verbalization in terms of uh, how it can influence design. Um, the other example I give is the Bernard Chumi. Bernard Chumi, of course, uses uh, the syntax of, de- of the language to uh, influence his design coming from the whole idea of deconstructivist movement, that um, design can be a narrative. And uh, his earlier um, influences from literary texts and how he uses some of those texts from uh, James Joyce and other literary personal and brings it into design. Um, the fascinating thing about Bernard Shumi is he had to invent a whole new language to depict that in architecture. And so uh, you can think of language um, as a syntax that could be used as well in the design process. Great. And so yeah, so, you know, one thing I'll kind of end this with is the, the book is very interesting, whether or not you are an architecture student asking what this is, someone in the field who maybe has gotten hunkered down with the technical reality and is wondering what design is. So I, I find that very interesting. And so one thing I'd like to ask you, you know, since the book's been released, though, you know, what have you been working on? You know, what have you been working on? Yes. Uh, so. First, I'm I'm tr- trying to recover from this book <laughs> uh, because I think there there is still work to be done in terms of disseminating it to appropriate audiences, and uh, this is one reason I'm doing the podcast. As uh, I felt your audience uh, has uh, had a long um, history to to uh, experiencing uh, what new books in architecture has to say. Um, and I also want to get more feedback from my colleagues, and that's the fascinating thing about knowledge and how it develops. You put out a conjecture, and then you figure out, you know, what's the next step. So, so there Absolutely. there is some uh, uh, work that I'm still doing in that area. I also have interest in another whole area of design uh, called environment behavior, 
uh, environment behavior in simple terms is how uh, psychology uh, uh, you know, psychology affects users and how users experience buildings. And um, so I've been writing uh, about it, especially with this new COVID era and the pandemic. And um, mm. we have a lot of uh, interesting traditions in psychology, environmental psychology, specifically talking about uh, some of these issues. And I'm trying to revive and lessons learned from the past that we can actually use use it for today i um i was actually listening to one of the podcasts that you did about the great interiors and i think there is a yes revival that is happening in this area that i'm interested absolutely in. uh, another area that i was always interested in and i'm working on is the emerging media and how it affects our thinking about design so Tools like uh, immersive visualization with augmented reality, virtual reality, artificial intelligence, all these are affected, affecting the way we are thinking about design and also communicating about design. And I'm particularly interested in its implication to underserved populations to uh, communicate uh, the whole idea of design and bring, bring make make it more accessible. So those are the three uh, areas I'm I'm currently working on. Very interesting. Uh, virtual reality is a bit of a passion project of mine. I can't wait to see where you go with that. Wonderful. Well, I want to thank you again for speaking with us today. Uh, it was my pleasure, and thanks for having me, Brian. Oh, absolutely. The book is The Multi-Skill Designer, Cognitive Foundation for Inclusive Architectural Thinking. For everybody listening, thank you and have a great day.